This is Lost Weekly. I'm Doc Searles. And this week, Dan Lynch and I have our second straight table for two conversation about what's going on now in open source. And we go deep on this one because we're right in the middle of this open AI crisis. Doesn't matter if it's over by the time you hear this where Sam Waltman left and came back. But there are all kinds of open source implications for this because that was an open oriented board. The board that fired the guy and got fired itself when he came back is a board that had an original imperative to keep things open because it's a nonprofit. It was all about that. Did it matter or not? Not so much as the need that we have now to get open ethics and technology and the rest of it into the AI world. It's a whole new world. What are what are the new licenses we we need here? What it's brand new and it's gigantic, and we need to be on it, get on top of it. So we go into that in this show, and that's coming up next. Podcasts you love from people you trust. This, this is Twit. This is Floss Weekly, episode seven hundred fifty-eight, recorded Wednesday, November twenty-second. 2023 Raiders of the Lost Source. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Collide. That's Collide with a K. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and they ensure that if a device isn't trusted and secure, it can't log into your cloud apps. Visit collide.com slash floss to book an on-demand demo today. And by Bitwarden, the open source password manager to help you stay safe online. Get started with a free Teams or Enterprise plan trial or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. And by Fastmail, reclaim your privacy, boost productivity, and make email yours with Fastmail. Try it now free for 30 days at fastmail.com slash Hello again, everyone, everywhere, every when. Uh, I am Doc Searles. This is Floss Weekly. And uh, and this week, both of us wearing hats, one for a good reason, one for not. Uh, Dan Lynch and I are, for the second straight week, having the Doc and Dan show. Um, and <laughs> because uh, uh, we are guestless, uh, there are different reasons each time, but here in the U.S. is Thanksgiving. We still have diseases going around. Our guest got sick. So um, so it has a good reason for not being in school. But here, anyway, I am in the middle of of Palm Desert, California, and there's very, very bright light out there with the desert sun coming straight in and uh, and the windows. I have the curtains drawn, but they give a wonderful diffused light. The problem is I can't see the screen (laughs) because the backlight is so strong. Anyway, so Dan, Dan is in Liverpool where it is dark and probably rainy too. Is it it drizzling outside, Dan? (laughs) It's pretty, it's very dark. It's too dark for me to see if it's raining or not. That's how dark. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's good to be back though. It's good to be back. This is uh, the second week of our Table for Two podcast. Table for Two, yeah. yeah. And 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 it's a, a round table for two. And a round table for two. That's right. as 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 a coincidence would have it, the table on which my laptop is sitting is round, and it is meant for two. It's a small one; only two only two seats go for it. So mm. it is consistent in that sense. So 
Um, but we have lots to talk about that should be of enduring value and mm. um, and relevance, and we're going to try and keep it to that. Um, uh, okay, so I'm seeing on the back channel. I'm not heard on the live stream, but I'm going to pretend I am heard anyway, and the live stream can go figure it out. Anyhow, um, bunch of topics lined up. I'm going to, I'm going to start with one that Dan has already in the queue. He's done yes. more homework than I have because they don't have Thanksgiving <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> they have- There's actually two reasons for that. One is we don't have Thanksgiving. As you said, we're not thankful. And <laughs> uh, the second reason is because it's later in the day for me. So it's currently, uh, 5.30 in the evening here for me. So I have all day to prepare. So yeah. I have a fair advantage, really. And, and comes- here in this uh, timeshare condo space that we have, I am the barista. We actually bought, brought mm-hmm. a cappuccino espresso machine here nice. so I could um, ply my skills as a barista. Because it's, when everything else fails, I just go back to that. <laughs> so, but I'm working on it. And my wife is a very large family. And lots of adult kids and other kids. You see some games over my right shoulder here. Um, and we had to kick all those people out. So anyway, um, but go ahead, Dan. No problem. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll try, and, uh, we'll try and make sure we don't take too long and let those people back in to play those games. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wanted to talk about the fact that um, on our uh, pirate episode last week, we talked about the fact that Alma Linux and Red Hat Enterprise Linux released 9.3. Uh, version 9.3 of uh, of their distributions, uh, which is interesting because they're both basically Red Hat Linux. So Red Hat Enterprise Linux that we've talked about in the past uh, is a very popular um, enterprise business uh, Linux distribution, uh, but they recently, or this year, changed their licensing model um, into a, a lot of, caused a lot of upset with a lot of people. Uh, because they basically made it so you can see the code, but you can't do what you want with it anymore. So it's a kind of a show you the code and then look, but don't touch is what people have described. The peekaboo as. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which which is obviously, uh, it goes against the principles of, of open source, uh, free and open source software. So, um, but interestingly, Alma Linux released 9.3 last week, uh, which is basically uh, a compilable, um, equivalent of Red Hat Linux, Enterprise Linux, but without all the branding and the uh, and the other stuff kind of stripped out. So, um, but the the news this week uh, is that a week behind them, um, as our co-host Simon notes in our in our Slack back channel, there um, they are a week behind Alma Linux, but Rocky Linux and also Oracle Unbreakable Linux have also now hit nine point three. Now, that may not seem that interesting, but the interesting part of this is that there's a lot of business involved here, particularly Oracle, because Oracle is such a huge enterprise company. They're selling uh, their unbreakable Linux, as they call it, which is basically a copy of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. They're selling that uh, to customers along with support contracts and other things that Red Hat would like to be doing. Um, And they're trying to eat into the business uh, in a way. But um, the interesting part of this is that Red Hat... um, have not really done much to try and stop people from uh, copying them in, in although they've made the license change which we all well I say we all I certainly don't approve of but you know that's for me to say uh, that's purely my opinion um but they've they've made this thing but um in the article I read it's from the register in fact um the article that I read about this uh, the release notes 
uh, they were talking about the business models of Oracle and uh, other companies and how they're going to um, keep up with um, with all of this. And um, that's quite interesting. So one of the one of the interesting things that comes out of the Oracle uh, Unbreakable Linux release is they're using a newer kernel than uh, than the, you get with Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So Red Hat Enterprise Linux has a kernel uh, which is based on 5.13 of the Linux mainline kernel, and uh, the new the new uh, Oracle released their own kernel with the distribution. Uh, sorry, 5.14 it's based on is the is the RHEL kernel the Red Hat Enterprise Linux kernel. Um, but the unbreakable enterprise kernel, as they call it, uh, the Oracle, that is, uh, that's based on a newer branch of the mainline kernel, which is 5.15 instead of 5.14. So what people are speculating is maybe Oracle are trying to do a run around, uh, around Red Hat by making their thing different, making their distribution uh, different and more valuable to customers by saying, we've got a newer mainline kernel than you have. So it's just an in, the interesting thing is that we're going to see in the next few months and the next years uh, probably it might take years I don't know because enterprise doesn't move very quickly uh, but uh, we might see this business model not go away but it'd be interesting to see how they sustain that business model and how Oracle for example being such a huge enterprise focused company um, how do they how do they keep going with their their business which was essentially copying Red Hat's product wholesale. And rebranding it, and then selling other stuff on top of it as well. So I don't know, Doc, if you've got any thoughts on this. Well, do you- my, a question I have, and it's actually a question for Dan. It's a question for our back channel, for the question for the audience: is why did Red Hat bother to do that in the first place? I mean, here's a company that was founded on open source, believer in open source. We understood why they created Fedora and like split Red Hat Enterprise Linux and and Fedora apart. That was weird, but it was like understandable because it had two different kind of broad purposes. Um, but then why start closing down Red Hat mm. Enterprise Linux to the first place, especially if you had any foresight about it, you would see that, Hey, <laughs> you need, this is going to get forked anyway and, and go off in other directions. Some of which are going to be competitive corporately. So why bother with that? And maybe there's an obvious answer, but I'm not sure what that is. No, I, I think you you make a very good point there because my my first thought when this happened was well, it, somebody will fork it. I mean, it's we're not talking about small players here. We're not talking about people necessarily in 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 a back room somewhere. We're talking about Oracle. Oracle is a huge company. <laughs> you don't think they've got the money and the resources and the time and the people to go? Let's just put our own kernel developers and other people onto forking this. You know, if they wanted to. Because for them, it's business. I mean, it, they're a business, they're an enterprise. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I can see why Red Hat would not want Oracle to be stealing their source, if you like. Uh, I, I do understand that. But then again, if you believe in free and open source software and you've built your company on it for 25 years or whatever, well, it's longer than that, isn't it? I mean, it's a long time anyway. If you've built your company on that for a long time and made a lot of money out of it from support contracts and always argued that you don't need to sell the software because you can sell the support contracts and you can sell other things, to suddenly come and say, you know, we've changed our mind on this and we need, we feel that we need to be closing the you know, the code now or trying to hide the code away or change it in some way. Yeah, it feels a bit disingenuous to me, I would say. Yes, especially with, when you were saying that um, uh, that Oracle are building this on a newer, the 
more current version yeah, of, kernel, the, yeah. of the yeah. kernel. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's one of the cool things about open source is that everything the kernel comes out, everybody can be in a race to use it the best way. Um, and, and enterprises largely, it's a relationship cell. It's a, it's a corporate dependency cell. It's not, it's not a, Hey, we got the latest thing for your geeks to work on. It's, we're building, we're, we're keeping your company up somehow and we're using the latest, the strongest of this. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just do a better job, you know? And I mean, everybody, I mean, in any country, everybody uses the same cash. They all use the same currency that makes things simple. Um, uh, I suppose it's not a good enough comparison because anybody could, could create fork the currency in some ways, but, but it's, it's what's in common that kind of matters. And uh, I was just, I was surprised by Red Hat when they did that in the first place, because it was reputationally weird on top of everything else. It's like, well, we've decided we're going to be closed in this way, or we're going to be closed fisted or closed vested on it. Um, You know, you're free to go and do your own thing with it if you want. But um, it just seemed, it just seemed, strategically strange to me and still does given what's going on now. Well, the other thing is the amount of, as you said, the amount of reputational, reputational damage that they've had from this. I mean, you've got, now you've got a lot of people in the open source world of free and open source software community who used to look at Red Hat and go, look, they're the shining example of, of an open source company, a free and open source company and how they make money from it and how they're incredible and they do this and that. And, it, it, the, the piece that I read, I, I referenced it, uh, it was on the register uh, so people can find the links, but it's basically one of the new pieces on there, on the release notes. Uh, they were talking about the fact that Red Hat existed on, a, on an island. The, the, the metaphor that they used was Red Hat existed on a very unique island where they were making money and they were doing well, and they didn't care about the little shoals of fish that were eating their, you know, nibbling at their toes because it didn't make much difference. Um, but now... I don't know. Is there going to be a business model for the likes of Oracle to say, we've got things that Red Hat Enterprise Linux haven't got now? Uh, like we've got this newer kernel, we've got this, you know, because one thing Oracle are good at, and Oracle are an interesting company in a lot of ways. I, I, I'll try not to give too much of my own personal vitriol towards Oracle uh, in this. But, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Oracle, but they do employ a lot of open source developers. They they develop things like ButterFS or BetterFS, if you want to call it that. And their version of the kernel, they, they offer custom versions of the Linux kernel. They're offering versions of the Linux kernel with ButterFS included, which isn't in the Red Hat Enterprise Linux kernel. And so they, they're finding ways to add value. And I don't know much about enterprise software and I don't know much about enterprise in, in general, but my opinion was, or my feeling was that deals get done based on who plays golf with who, doesn't it? Isn't that how that, that, that stuff works? I mean, you, you it, it's relational, it's a relationship business. So people work with the, um, the, the software sellers and, and tech support people that they know. So they're going to buy, if they work, if they're an Oracle company and they're used to getting supported by Oracle, they're going to keep going to Oracle. As far as I can yeah, see. I mean, it's, this is interesting. It's not even a tug of war. It's just, it happens at very different levels. Um, you know, enterprises that employ a lot of smart geeks are going to make, or light, uh, that they respect and, and hold high positions and are responsible and involved and all the rest of that will tend to hire on a big company, a, 
an, an Oracle, a Red Hat, an IBM, which is also which owns Red Hat, an SAP. Um, you know, ba- you know, based on some uh, on qualitative judgments that are that are that are considered, but then once they do that, a lot of responsibility for running the company goes over to these other companies. Um, we see this all the time with, um, I mean, here's a, here's a simple example of a company gets hired to do a specific thing. And then the company doing the hiring has kind of taken his hands off and not looked at it. Um, every time you see a cookie, uh, I'll say cookie monster, but that's what it is. Um, a cookie notice you'll see is, Oh, it's from one trust or from one of the other companies that a company that a, an enterprise will hire to handle, oh, you can handle our consent stuff. You know, it happens with identity. It happens with security. It happens with a lot of, a lot of areas where an external company is just going to be more expert at that than the company itself, than the enterprise itself. But with Red Hat and, and Oracle, these are, these are big hires and I'm not sure they're made so much over golf, but they have to be, but they tend to be informed. This is one of the things that got Linux into the enterprise in the first place is that a company gets into compliance with its own engineers. This happened around 2000 with IBM itself. Um, you know, IBM discovered that, um, you know, they weren't running Windows print and file servers. They were running Samba because there were lots of old Windows machines that worked better on old on, on new Linux and, and got leveraged than, you know, they're running Samba. So, and basically what I was told at the time is that IBM went into compliance with its own engineers. Uh, there was so many open source developers within the company um, that they just, they just went that way. And it turned out to be strategically really, really smart for them. Mm. But even internally, um, and I've said this before, but Dan Fry who was working there at the time told me it took IBM six years before they figured out that they couldn't tell their kernel developers what to do. It's really the other way around. Mm. So, and I, I tend to think that there have to be in some enterprises anyway, um, a degree of wisdom about this, but what kind of a judgment call is it to go, is somebody going to rip out Red Hat Enterprise Linux and put in Oracle because of, of one add on that, or where, because Oracle is one something to the right of the decimal point ahead on, on, on the kernel is basing it on. I don't know. Um, you know, but again, I just, I think it's, I think one of the biggest issues, and we're going to get to this later around OpenAI because we have something to say about that, uh, um, is w- when is open best? And in our world, uh, the, the floss world, the answer is all the time. <laughs> you know, that on the whole, having having open source code and um, and a collection of freedoms that are associated with that and are passed on to others is the better way to go and is going to give you more progress in the world. Uh, but there are, there are arguments against it. And one of those arguments won at Red Hat at some point. And, and that is, it is disturbing because they were that they were that, that Island. Um, I mean, and I've said this before too, but some people are new listeners on, on this topic, but at Linux journal where I worked for 24 years, the very first, um, editor-in-chief was Bob Young, who once he was writing about Linux said, wait a minute, I'm going to go start a company. And he started Red Hat. <laughs> and, and, and the rest is history. But that history has been one of growth. And there, there are three stages in the history of a company. There's 
there's new and then there's hot and then there's big. And Red Hat got big. And when it got big and it got IBM'd, it went into a different stage. Bob Young was long gone. Other CEOs came and went. Um, mm-hmm. And they made a strategic decision to do what they did with Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And in retrospect, I would say it wasn't the best decision, you know, and it cost them reputationally. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think um, it's definitely something that's uh, it's going to keep rumbling, but I thought we, it might be interesting for the listeners to, uh, to to have a look at the competitors. And as you've mentioned in the past, Doc, Alma Linux, we've got people coming on in future to talk to us about Alma That's Linux. right. So stay tuned to Floss Weekly to find out more about that. Yeah, and um, and we'll be back with some some fresh topics <laughs> for our for our two man table for two roundtable right after this. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and they ensure that if a device isn't trusted and secure, it can't log into your cloud apps. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta, this message is for you. Have you noticed that for the past few years, the majority of data breaches and hacks that you read about have something in common? It's employees. Sometimes an employee's device gets hacked because of unpatched software. Sometimes an employee leaves sensitive data in an unsecured place. And it seems like every day a hacker breaks in using credentials they fish from an employee. The problem here isn't your end users. It's the solutions that are supposed to prevent those breaches. But it doesn't have to be this way. Imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. In this world, fished credentials are useless to hackers, and you can manage every OS, including Linux, all from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without creating more work for your IT team. The good news is you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Visit collide.com slash floss to book an on-demand demo today and see how it works for yourself. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash floss. So, Dan, what's next up here? I, I know I should know, but I'm not. <laughs> I have four windows open. Which one is it on? I think we need to talk about the big elephant in the the big elephant in the room. I suppose the the elephant in the room is the is the phrase, isn't it? Uh, which is everything that's been going on with with OpenAI in the last kind of week or so. I've been trying to keep up with it, but I think you've got some interesting takes on this. That oh my gosh, I, I have some um, perspective. I would think. Um, yeah, in 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 another room here. Um, uh, is my son who uh, he's twenty, he's twenty seven years old. He's worked for a series of startups, hated the startup life, went off to work in a restaurant. He's tending bar, having a great time now. As he puts it, every email he gets now is meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> he's not working in tech, um, and he said he's back. He's back caring about it because of OpenAI, because of this drama. And by now, everybody is, I think, fairly familiar with this, which is that. Um, OpenAI is run by a is a nonprofit set up by um, Sam Altman, Elon Musk of all people, who's since dropped out, um, and some others with a non as a nonprofit because they didn't want what they were working on to get into the hands of 
um, of giant companies. And it seems like the giant companies end up running everything and they didn't want that to happen. So, and that may be oversimplifying what they wanted to do, but they had this open imperative in the first place, which is why it's called open AI. But then in order to, you know, buy the equipment they needed and rent the AWS, whatever else they're using in the storage space, it doesn't matter. They needed cash infusion. So they created a profit making subsidiary. Um, and, and that's, that has grown faster than anything else possibly in the history of the world. And if not in computing as well, I mean, this is uh, a hundred billion. I mean, it's some crazy amount of sales that they're, they're selling. I think sales are over a billion a year And it was founded less than a year ago as I'm, as we're speaking, it's within a week of a year ago. And, and so the, for whatever reason, the reason was never made clear. The nonprofit board fired the 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 subsidiary CEO, who is the most famous and high profile guy in all of AI, which is Sam Altman. Um, he had to leave. Um, his number two left with him. The entire company, or close enough to it, said, "We're going to go with the guy too." If he's leaving, the board appoints a a uh, uh, an interim CEO. She says that she's she does she wants to follow Sam out or bring him back. Um, then they hire a guy who is at Twitch and um, that nobody expected, and he says some things that doesn't matter because. And then Microsoft comes in and says we'll hire Sam, and they hire Sam. And then, at the latest wrinkle in this is that Sam is now, as of last night, back at the company, and the board is going to change, and the original board is out, and. All of the talk about this has been um, not just like what's what's happening next. What did Sam really do? All that kind of stuff. Um, where where I want to go with it is to the conflict between the imperatives of openness and the imperatives of a profit making company, a company that wants to create um, va- you know economic value for itself, and and but it's a little complicated here too, because it isn't just about the openness. There's, there's these moral, I mean, one of the conflicts within the open source community, I think is, is it a moral, a morally bound community in which it's wanting to do good things? Um, or is it simply about the value of openness and, and what it does for the economy? And it has nothing to do with, being especially good or bad. I think in this case, both of those things are tied in. They, they, one of the reasons they created the profit-making company, as I understand it, and I'm glad to be wrong here, is that they wanted to be able to move ahead without having the drag of open sourcing this over and over and over again while they're doing it. And that there, there always was an intent to open source as much as they could at a given point, and it was kind of an implicit, if not an, an explicit promise that they would do that. Because they didn't do that, I think is one reason why, to, in a limited way, Facebook, which is a competitor, or Meta, which is a competitor, um, open source Llama, or partially open source Llama. And I know people there, and they told me that they would have open sourced it all the way if they were not so competitive with other companies. They just didn't want other big companies taking their open source and using it 
but they wanted the hackers of the world to take their to take llama and use it. So all of these things are at play, but it's a, I think it's one of these moments when the economic and the technical and the moral imperatives behind the open source and free software movements are all in play. And I should add that um, somebody I know well, and I think is familiar to almost everybody on here, but this is in a private meeting. Um, uh, this person said, even though they were very, very in favor of open source and one of the great advocates of open source throughout its history, which dates, by the way, from 1998, um, uh, at least the term, that term being used, free software goes back a decade and a half farther. But he said um, he deeply worried about what happens when Pandora's box is opened all the way and all the things, just imagine all the things that can ever be done with, with generative AI will be done, all of it. And the opportunities to do bad things are so far exceed the opportunities and the labor involved to do the good things that bad things will surely happen. And these are not like, hey, we're going to have the smartest thing in the world is going to be smarter than people. And therefore, we're all going to get killed, which I think is a logical leap I've heard over and over again that I don't think follows. But um, but if you can imagine somebody gets in a position to make slaughter bots and make them personal and hacks into stuff that we're we could be known where we are in the phone company or whatever and, and said slaughter bots after all of us. There are all kinds of horrible things you can imagine. This person was imagining them and thinking, no, we need responsible companies or parties in charge of this thing to prevent that from happening. I'm not sure that's possible. Um, but it's we're at one of those moments where, and I immodestly called this Searle's second law. Searle's second law says Whatever it could be, anything that can be done with technology will be done. If it can be done, it will be done until we figure out what's wrong with it. And then we stop doing that. We did it with nuclear power. We did it with all kinds of things. Um, we're going to do it with AI too, but will it be too late? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Dan? It, yeah, it could be. This is a huge topic. Um, it's moving so quickly that I didn't even realize that Sam Altman had definitely gone back to to the company. Well, now. it was as of last what night. I, heard I got it. I got it. Deal you know, with Microsoft, but yeah, uh, that didn't happen, or this paperwork didn't get done, or it, the, the really interesting thing about all of this is the um, you, you talked about there are other competitors in this field as well, so it's not just OpenAI. I, I think they may, you know, clearly they're a long way ahead of some other competitors. But if you've tried things like I tried Bard, which is the Google um, AI, it's fine. Uh, Bard, Bard's pretty good. Bard's so pretty good. Um, yeah, and so are other things. So I'm it, sure the llama one's good as well. But yeah, I, I, you want to it's use, not the um, only game in town. So I, no. I think ChatGPT is not the only game in town. So to say that to restrict ChatGPT to only be used for quote unquote good um, is an interesting one because you're not going to be restricting other things. Google are going to do what they want with Bard and you know other things. And and the other thing is, it's wrong to think that the only people working on AI are people who work in Silicon Valley because there are massive, massive countries. There's Russia, there's China, there's uh, Korea, South Korea and North Korea. And there's all these other places where they're going to work on this stuff and they're going to do whatever they want with it and we can't stop them. So I think to yeah. use the moral argument that um, only 
you know, chat GPT has to be morally controlled is an interesting one because for me personally, I have a lot of morals and I believe in certain things being done and I certainly don't want slaughter bots or whatever Doc called them coming around for any reason. <laughs> but um, I do think that you're right with your second law there that whatever can be done will eventually be done at some point. And um, I think it's an interesting one because it, it's not just ChatGPT. They're not the only game in town. It may be the biggest game in town, but they're not the only game in town. And the other thing about ChatGPT, which I find really interesting on OpenAI, is that Microsoft already owns 49% of OpenAI, of the company, of the, the for-profit company, so I believe. Although the structural, um, as Ant pointed out in our back channel there, the, the structural kind of organizational arrangements of OpenAI are very, very complicated. But I do know that Microsoft have got heavily, heavily invested in it. And things like uh, Bing and also um, Copilot, which we're going to talk about in a bit because I've got another story to, to tell people about an yeah. related one. Um, Copilot, which is used by GitHub, which is also owned by Microsoft, uh, and other things, they're all basically powered by ChatGPT-based tools that, that they're getting from right. their so, Perplexity.ai uh, is really good, and it's a uh, it's mostly yeah. ChatGPT 3.5, but it's very very handy for all kinds of things. I probably use that more than any other AI. Um, I, I should add, since you said that it, it it isn't just not only is it not just OpenAI plus Microsoft, which is now essentially one entity. The irony there being that they wanted to avoid being uh, falling into the hands of a giant company. And, a giant, and what, the, what this board did was basically hand OpenAI over to Microsoft. It's a follow the money thing, right? You know, where did the money come from? It came from Microsoft. Microsoft is a partnership. Microsoft runs this thing, um, so to speak. So, um, but I want to point out that, I mean, Google's, um, I first found out about AI, um, a deep, interesting things happening with AI from friends in the UK. Um, uh, Mustafa Suleiman is not a friend, but I've talked with him and he's one of the founders. Um, ben Laurie, who's a great hacker um, and I've known for many, many years, uh, worked for them. I think he still does. Um, and they got acquired by Google, uh, DeepMind, and they're involved with, you know, neural learning machines and, um, you know, I mean, they, they had a neural network to begin with and um, I assume that's involved in BARD. It's, uh, um, I mean, this is going on all over the place. And that's another reason why it's, it's not like there's a cat out of the bag. It's like many species have <laughs> jumped out and they're all over the place. And there's more it, than one bag. And it's, it's more than one bag. I mean, more it's, than one it's, bag as well. Yeah. And, and, and it's part of, part of it is just the implication of, of the technology. I mean, I, I, I own almost no stock in anything, but, um, and not even a, I mean, it's handled by other parties, actually, like my wife and other people. But um, I mean, I, I wish I'd known how important NVIDIA would be, you know, I mean, but the fact that NVIDIA made the the silicon and the and the products they made is one of the things that allowed open all kinds of AI to explode. And so the presence of those in the world really matter. Now, AMD is getting is jumping in on it. Um, there are, you know, arm makers that are jumping in on it. They all want to come up with ways that um, that AI usage could be accelerated. And the, the big question for me is when do I get mine here? Not where I'm, 
I'm inside of a giant company, but I've got the models and I've got my own data. I want to know, I want to look at my own health and stuff like that. But there is going to be this kind of weird symbiosis. Um, one of the things I heard on another podcast this morning as I was riding around um, Palm Desert um, is that uh, in medicine already it's been figured out. I mean, it's, somebody's come up with something where an AI and machine learning system with, you know, will be able to look for the markers for pancreatic cancer far better than any diagnostician can. Mm -hmm. And the, the implications for medicine are absolutely colossal. The implications for countless things are colossal. And, and this is where we have to go to what can be done, will be done. Um, because it is, and it's going to happen fast. And, uh, and I think it, it, one of the, one of the things is surprisingly absent for me is Apple. What's Apple doing with this? Nothing as far as I know. I mean, they've had AI for a long time in various kinds. Um, yeah. They've had facial recognition and stuff like that in their, in their, in, in their um, photo products and, and so forth. And I imagine they're not idle on this and they probably could buy some AI companies with spare change at this point, although probably the price for all of them has gone through the roof. Uh, yeah. I think but, my, my issue yeah. with the way the story was reported, in, in, I say issue, it's not really an issue. It's not like I'm uh, I'm up at night going, this makes me mad. Uh, but my kind of slight issue with the way the story was reported and the way people have talked about it is, it goes back to the point I was making about there not being the only game in town. Um, that, yeah. Um, the, it, there are other people working on AI outside of of the of that company who may come up with something better and quicker than than OpenAI. So we don't we we don't know what's going to happen. You know, so and, not, and, and more useful. I mean, uh, okay. you know, I, so, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Doc. No, I was just going to say um, that we need to we need to give people another message about uh from uh, our aunts telling us we need to we need to give people another message but um, <laughs> after, that, after that people should should definitely come back because i'm going to talk about an open source company that's doing ai stuff that relates to this so doc's going to give you some messages okay <laughs> thanks dan so this episode of floss weekly is brought to you by bitwarden the only open source cross-platform password manager you can trust Security now, Steve Gibson has even switched over with Bitwarden. All of the data in your vault is end-to-end encrypted, not just your passwords. Bitwarden protects you by creating unique usernames and adding strong, randomly generated passwords for each account or using any of their six integrated email alias services. You can log into Bitwarden and decrypt your vault after using SSO on a registered trusted device. No master password is needed. On top of being public to the world, Bitwarden has professional third-party audits performed yearly and published on its website. You can even view all of Bitwarden's code on GitHub. Share private data securely with fully customizable plans for personal or business needs. Start with a personal plan for free forever and get unlimited devices, unlimited passwords, and passkey management. Or enjoy premium features by upgrading to a premium account for less than $1 a month. And for only $3.33 a month, their family plan will give you up to six accounts with premium features and unlimited sharing and collections. 
their enterprise plan is just $6 per user per month. And now they have a Teams starter plan, which is a flat $20 per month for 10 users, which provides a great value for smaller teams with all the premium features. Or pay $4 a month per user with teams of 11 or more. Join Bitwarden at the fourth annual Open Source Security Summit, where businesses, open source enthusiasts, developers, and security thought leaders come together to explore how open source software leads to stronger cybersecurity. Headliners this year include Brian Krebs from KrebsOnSecurity.com, White Hat Hacker and CEO of Social Proof Security, Rachel Toback, and generative AI expert and advisor, Zach Cass. Join the leaders in open source security and register now for the Open Source Security Summit on December 7th at opensourcesecuritysummit.com. Here at Twit, we're fans of password managers. Get started with Bitwarden's free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan, or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. That's bitwarden.com slash twit. Okay, so Dan, go 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 ahead with what you had queued up there. Yeah, of course, sure. So we're talking about AI. We we always seem to be talking about AI, but it's the thing that everybody needs to talk about right now. Um, so I want to talk about something called Tabby ML. That's T A B B Y M L, which is a machine learning, obviously, um, tool. But um, it's an open source challenger to GitHub's Copilot. Uh, so Copilot is um, it is the tool in GitHub that uh, helps you to generate code. It will go and grab things mainly from other GitHub repositories. So that's a strange one. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of copy in other people's code directly from there. But anyway, or you could be. Uh, it suggests things anyway. To be fair, I haven't used it. My friends have used it and told me it's very good. But the story here is that Tabby ML, which has been created by two former Google employees, is a startup which has just generated uh, or just secured, sorry, $3.2 million in funding. Uh, to work on their open source code generation tools. In contrast to GitHub's Copilot, a self-hosted coding assistant like Tabby ML has the advantage of being highly customizable, suggesting the start- suggested the startup's founder, Meng Zhang. Uh, we believe that in a future where all companies will have some sort of customization demand in software development tools. So it's just an interesting one because um, they go on to talk about the fact that if you can embed uh, if you can embed the AI, it's kind of like we always talk about. We'd like to have our own AIs that we can embed in, and in, 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 you know, examine our own data and give us our own suggestions based on that. Um, if you're in a company where, um, you know, you, your company rules, as most companies are, uh, for, if a developer writes a line of code, it's the property of the company. It's not the property of the developer. So therefore, if you've got your AI embedded inside the company, it could immediately quote and suggest things that other employees have written. Rather than say Copilot, which can't do that, Copilot doesn't have reach inside your company because it's not embedded inside your company. There's all kinds of legal stuff there, I would imagine, uh, copyright things and, and licensing things. So I just the, the story I thought was interesting was um, it's good to see that other tools are being created. And you talked about complexity AI, and there are other ones as well. Uh, there's the hugging face, which you've mentioned as well, Doc. As, I mean, I think yeah, yeah. But I think open source. AI tools are definitely going to be interesting. Um, and I got the story from Yahoo News, by the way, so I should mention that um, from uh, Yahoo News uh, was where I picked up the story. 
uh, of this one. Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit old. It's it's about three four weeks old the story, but I figured given that we That's were talking true. about AI. It was relevant. So I'm going to keep an eye on Tabby ML and see how it comes out. I also like the fact that they've kind of done a clever thing with the cats. So uh, GitHub has OctoCat, which is their kind of logo, which is a cat and an octopus uh, half hybrid. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So they've called it Tabby because it's a cat. So there we go. I thought that was quite cool. (laughs) It's a cat with socks, with its socks on it. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah, and, and just being a hugging face, there's another piece of news from way back in November 14th, which is like a week ago. Um, the Dell infrastructure, of course, is like big Dell. This is enterprise type Dell, embraces hugging face. And uh, and they have a deal on open source um, generative AI models. So, you know, that, that open source is a big deal there. And I, and I, I should add... Um, I mean, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but um, one of our other co-hosts, Simon Phipps, um, who is listening in. Hi, Simon. <laughs> I wonder well, you could make this table round if you came in or at least triangular. Um, but he says it's unclear what open source means in the context of AI. And most usage seems questionable. Um, only a Luther seems to be trying it. Uh, OSI, which he's deeply involved with, is doing a deep dive in the topic and have added a solid definition, which um, if you go to opensource.org or to blog that opensource.org and you'll find it there. Um, and, and they've, they've come up with, you know, at least the first draft of a definition, they take their definitions very seriously. They've got a bunch of them. Um, and they're really important to um, keeping the conversation around this sane, <laughs> you know, there has to be, um, this isn't governance in the same of you get punished if things are right or wrong, but rather, you know, governance is what we agree on uh, are the right th- uh, is right action of one kind or another. Um, so anyway, take a look at um, at opensource.org and uh, dig down in there and see what what because we we need we need an open source definition of what happens here. We've barely begun to scratch it, and so much of what's happening in the world is is. Um, it's not just open source. It's just it's who's using it and how's using it and and all the rest of it. I mean, going through a similar thing right now with um, and this has to do with the status quo. And I think this is important. Once a status quo gets established, whether it's good or bad, you have to deal with that status quo. And so, I'm involved in a standards effort right now where we're tr- you know we're trying to both respect and ignore what's good and bad about. Um, the GDPR, the CCPA in California, the DMA coming along in Europe, lots of law that's coming along that, and and regulatory frameworks that may be well intended or may not be, but will, but if we respect them too much, we may move away from the other things we value. It's all got pretty complicated, but the OSI is really good at this stuff and has been involved in defining open source um, for many years. Definitely a, an interesting uh, subject. I, I actually have uh, on the on the subject of um, monopolies and so on. I have a question from my Mastodon account that someone asked me earlier. If, uh, I asked for potential uh, topics for the show, and I had a reply from Tom, who doesn't give a surname. So thank you, Tom, for that. Um, yeah, he um, he asked about monopolies. He says, "Are monopolies that are open source?" Thinking of FFmpeg here as a, the only media encoder used, good or bad for the ecosystem? Is it, uh, is it 
it's open source, so great, but is a monopoly or a monoculture still bad? Um, so I don't know. I think we, it might be something we could quickly discuss. Yeah, it, it's funny. I, um, a couple of days ago, we, my son, his girlfriend, and I went to a Joshua Tree National Park here in the U.S., which is where it's this valley of boulders that have these really unusually shaped trees that look like Dr. Zeus drew them. And, um, but the interesting thing to me is that there were a bunch of boulder piles that looked so much like the XKCD cartoon where the entire internet depends on one thing maintained by one guy in Nebraska or somewhere. And, and with single, single sources of, of some conditional code that we're using become over important. That's, that's part of it. I think that's part of where you're going with this, but, um, and, and there was one particular pile of rocks that had one holding it up. And later when I looked to see, I w- I'm very curious about geology and it turned out these particular rocks are over 1.3 billion years old. <laughs> then, oh. So the, but it's that they've been they're under the earth for most of those 1.3 billion years. Now they're out being used by nature and are crumbling, <laughs> you know? So, and, and we're constantly replacing everything. I mean, everything has to be kept up to date. I don't know. I'm kind of going to go all over the map with that, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, it's interesting that um, I, I think um Putting all your eggs in one basket, as as they say, is never a good idea. So I think whether it be an open source basket or a closed source proprietary basket, I'd prefer it to be an open source basket. Still not a great idea because, you know, I mean, I, the example he gives of FFmpeg, which is, for people who don't know, maybe you were listening, it's, an, um, it's a media uh, encoding tool, does video and audio and so on. Um, so... It does all that kind of stuff, and it, it's basically the only one that everybody uses and embeds. So I think you need options, I suppose, is what I'm saying. You need yeah. to have options. Well, we're getting down close to the end of this thing, and I have to get in one more message. So I'm going to go for that, and then we can we can mm-hmm. sum up and wrap. So this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by FastMail. Make email work for you with FastMail. Customize your workflow with colors, custom swipes, night mode, and more. FastMail now has quick settings. From the quick settings menu, you can easily choose a new theme, switch between light mode and dark mode, and change your text size without leaving the FastMail screen you're looking at. Quick settings will also offer options related to the FastMail screen you're viewing. You can generate a new masked email address, show or hide your reading pane, switch between folders and labels, and more. Choose to autosave contacts or choose to show public images of senders from external services like Gravatar. Set default reminders for events, change how invitations are handled or turn notifications for calendar alerts on and off. Now add or buy a domain through FastMail, and they will set up all the records for you so it works immediately. FastMail gives you the ability to send and receive emails from your own domain and manage multiple email addresses in one space, which helps keep you organized and protects your personal data. For over 20 years, FastMail has been a leader in email privacy. The FastMail team believes in working for customers as people to be cared for, not products to be exploited. Advertisers are left out, putting you at the center. 
You pay for free email with your privacy. At Fastmail, your data stays yours with better productivity features for as little as $3 a month. Fastmail has better spam filters and absolutely no ads. And privacy isn't all you get with Fastmail. Superior productivity tools with scheduled send, snooze, folders, labels, search bar, etc. Plus, keep track of all the important details in your life easily with Fastmail's powerful sidebar. Works with password managers like Bitwarden and 1Password to make it easy for you to create unique passwords for every account and safely store them on your device. It is great on your desktop and mobile as well, especially when you download the Fastmail app to get the most out of your email. It's easy to download your old data and import it into your Fastmail inbox. Fastmail is moving email forward with new internet standards and open source innovations that power many email services other than their own. Don't get left behind by substandard email providers. Reclaim your privacy and boost productivity with Fastmail. Try it now, free for 30 days at fastmail.com slash twit. That's fastmail.com slash twit. So, Dan, it, it seems to me there's a theme here, and and it's where does open source stand in a world is changing almost way too fast, clearly faster than it's changed in any other time I can recall. And that even includes when the internet showed up. I, I think open source is still at the center of everything. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I, I'm very biased in this, but when you look at, so we, we've talked a little, a lot, well, we've talked a lot. I was going to say, we've talked a little bit about AI. We've talked a lot about AI today, but, um, if you look at, uh, you, you mentioned medical uses for AI. So uh, examining uh, diseases, you know, diagnosing things, looking at test results, all that sort of stuff. That's a science. And in science, peer review is everything. And peer review is all about being able to see the process, be able to recreate the results, be able to recreate the, the, the tests that people have done. That, to me, is all open source, you know, in a way. that That's like an open source way yeah. of doing it. And I think that the, although the world is accelerating quickly, I think the sharing of knowledge is still the key to human advancement. That sounds very grand. The key, the key to human advancement is that it's a sharing of knowledge, isn't it? So I think that's still relevant. Open source and free software and all that sort of stuff is still very relevant because these things are going to be shared and, and the, whether you want them to be or not. So why not get on board and use the proper licenses and to try and share the software and the, the codes and the, and the other stuff codes, the code and the other stuff. And then uh, you can also, you know, you can benefit a lot from that. We've seen that in a lot of ways. Um, we're very much here to promote the idea of free and open source software. I think anyway, at least I know I am. And, you know, I think it's very important. So I, I have a, this just came to me as we are talking, but, I think it's important. I was thinking back on how to the free software movement really and how, and where this showed up in the first place with Richard Stallman back in the, uh, like around 1984 at that time. I mean, he wanted to take Unix and have an open Unix, have a free and open Unix, um, that didn't have to belong to IBM. And then for that matter with BSD a little while later, that's what, um, Bill Joy wanted to do as well, but, but he created FreeBSD as a as a Unix variant, and um, 
And the idea in, in both those cases, and in Linux, when Linux came along, was as a guy, there was a person, a, an individual said, here's a big corporate thing that's closed and is going to take forever to develop and is going to be locked inside some company. And we're going to have to like beg them for something. And it, we, we can always think of better ways to make this thing work. We're going to do it on our own. And there's always, there was an I and then there was a we. And I mean, what's the first thing Linus, Linus did after he created, you know, the, his first whack at, at a, a POSIX compliant Unix like operating system was share it on the internet. Right. And, and other people weighed in and then they, they made the history we've had since then. And it's happened in so, so many other ways. I, I think with, I'm thinking like right now with, with AI, if anything we're doing in our life, like right now we're at a, at, I'm at this, it's kind of a resort. It's not really, it's a whole bunch of timeshares, timeshare condos, but it has a central administration and lots of, events and the horseshoes and basketball and pickleball and and uh, yoga in the morning and stretching and other stuff like that but there's also stuff going on in the in 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 the region there are uh, plays and theater going on um uh there's a gondola you could take up to the top of a mountain there are all these options that we have that are some of them are recreational some of them are shopping um the Googles of the world will want to say, we, we're going to know everything we can about this, and we're going to tell you what we can. Um, but it's not consolidated. It's not, I mean, they're, you know, they they sent us as good as their traffic and ways traffic in the old ways, but they're different, are both of them sent us into a horrible traffic jam that we, in our at our human level, we could have avoided in Los Angeles several days ago when we were driving here because it was a, a road that somebody set a fire and there was a big fire that burned um, an extraordinarily, you know, like seven lanes, each direction, very busy road. And we were tied up like for 45 minutes to an hour, just on city streets where they were totally gridlocked. I think that if, if one has one's own AI where you can choose from all kinds of sources, you don't have to, you don't, need the dependency. I mean, that's basically, I mean, I mean, one of the earliest memories I have of working with Linux was check your version dependencies, right? But dependencies are everything, right? It's, it's a collection of dependencies. We don't want dependencies on giant companies alone. I know Amazon can get us stuff to me faster. I think there are, if I need a stapler or if I need a, um, you know, a shovel or some other thing. I need a grill. I'm looking out here. Um, there's inventory all around. It's not only at Amazon. I want to be able to get at that. I, and I'm an individual human being. And I think other individual human beings working with centralized AIs, learning models of our own, um, are going to be able to do better innovations, better optimization of 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 opportunities, of possibilities, of how we work together, whatever it is, traffic is working together, right? The traffic has a mind of its own. It's like a bloodstream. There are independent minds in there, but we're all operating independently as well. And that's one of the weird and interesting ways that humans are, inter are interdependent on each other. And uh, I think having openness as a value and open code as a technology 
is essential for making the most of that and also of human beings' ability to help each other and to be, you know, to be constructive with each other and and not just opportunistic and try to beat the other guy. So anyway, that's sort of my sermon on that that I just made up on the spot. I I completely agree. We need collaboration. I mean, yeah. I mean, people have done great things on their own, but it's no good if you don't share it, is it? It's no good if you don't tell someone. It's no good if you don't, you know, someone else can't build on that knowledge. If we didn't have the commons and we didn't have, you know, all these things of like libraries full of books we can learn from, you know, all these types of things, where would we be? You need to share knowledge. Knowledge is dead if it's not shared, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting. I mean, I... Uh, Right now, though, I'm not there in geographically at the moment. Um, my wife and I are working with Indiana University on on the commons at the Ostrom Workshop, which studies the commons. Eleanor Ostrom won a Nobel Prize for her work on the commons. Um, she was familiar with open source and and open source development. And that's been a model for the way commons work for a while now. And we're still discovering what what that means. And. I think at the center of it is how could, you know, how can we be at, at our most human while we're busy running the machines that help us in ways that we will never be that smart. We'll never have the memory a machine has. A, a human grace is that we forget most of what we're saying or heard within seven seconds. And yet we had, we, we pass along meaning to each other with language and, with mathematics and other things and with code. Um, but the, the question for me is, you know, how can we be most human in the midst of this? And we've got this explosive new science, not that new, but capable in ways it never was before. And I really feel like it's 1973 or 1974 when um, computing was hot. Everybody knew about it, you know, just a few years earlier, we had a HAL 9000 on, on 2001, right. uh, and which is super smart. But the story was about how the human, you know, was able to get past what was wrong with it. But the, um, we actually thought as a collective uh, that the big companies are going to do it all for us. IBM was going to do it for us. But in the meantime, um, Apple, Atari, Commodore, Osborne, Sinclair, all of those were happening over here. Nobody took it seriously um, in, in big computing. And yet that's what, as soon as, as soon as people got PCs inside of companies, companies worked much better. And they totally stripped the gears of all the mainframes that were in there. And there's something like that going on now. I mean, I, I watched the PC revolution happen. I watched the internet revolution happen really exploding in the mid nineties, which ended up with the cooperation of every network in the world. They had to cooperate, <laughs> you know, and all this cooperation happened. And now we have the internet, which is a miracle beyond the scope of loaves and fish um, that eliminated, eliminated the distance between everybody. And then we had the cell phone revolution and we just took all the computing we made and we have an extension of ourselves that are these things that we carry with us. But they're still kind of run by the big companies, and Apple and Google pretty much run the run the mobile the mobile world, and that's not a, that's not a good thing. Uh, and I think we're going to see something happening like that with with AI, where it's going to be 
Meta and Microsoft and um, Amazon and a few others. And, you know, eventually Apple comes along too, but we'll do better with it on our, on our own. And we'll come up with innovations on our own that are based on open code that we share with each other and do cool things with. I'm, by the way, we haven't talked about this. AI is incredibly fun. Uh, I, I've had, uh, you know, I mean, there's something that's lost in this. I mean, it's, it's really handy. And the programmers I know, oh my God, it's like, great. I, I'll do that much Python and I'll work out the rest. That's pretty it is, cool. It is amazing. Have you done bash scripting with it? If, no, uh, I haven't. I haven't. So um, bash uh, scripting with, 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 with AI helpers is, is very, very interesting. A friend of mine was telling me he works for a logistics company. They deliver packages, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, he was he works in the IT department, but he was telling me that he just asked, this was like a year ago or, or a little bit less than a year ago when ChatGPT first came out. He asked it to uh, to give him a bash script, with, which would do, I think, about 10 different things. And it just spat the thing out. And he was like, and it worked. And it was perfect. <laughs> well, say perfect. It worked anyway uh, for that length of script. So, yeah, it's interesting times anyway. But I think... Um, I think we, yeah, we've, we've got interesting times to come in future with all of this stuff and the power at the moment, you need the, a lot of computing power to do this. And sadly, we don't carry that round in our pockets. But then again, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't carry around half the computing power I've got in my pocket right now. So who's to say when that will change? It will happen. It will change as, as things go. Yeah. <laughs> I assume we're, we're down at the end of the show and, and um, I think we're ready to wrap it up. Yeah, I think we're ready to wrap it up. So um, <laughs> thanks everybody for, for hanging with us on this thing. And um, uh, uh, I do want to give a quick plug before we wrap it oh, up. Oh yeah, please. So I was going to, so I mentioned it on our super secret pirate show that some people got to hear last week. <laughs> uh, but I, I released some new music recently. Uh, right. Right. Camp. This is great. Uh, and I listened to it. It's good. Oh, you Thank listen you. to it? Oh, cool. Yes, okay. of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can listen to it. Uh, you can find it at danlynch.org slash music. Uh, that's the easiest place to go. It's a new EP, uh, four songs on there. Uh, they're all very different. Um, so it's eclectic, I warn you. Uh, there's electronic stuff and there's, there's other stuff on there. And you can also get some of the older music on there as well. Uh, if you're interested, uh, and it's all free as in beer and free as in freedom as well, because, um, it's released under Creative Commons. So if you go to Bandcamp, you can, it will ask you to, uh, when you go to buy the track, as it says, it will ask you what you want to pay for it. You can put in zero. That's a valid option. I don't mind that. Uh, if you want to give me something for it, you can do. That's also cool. But, uh, you really don't have to. You can, you can, you can pay zero, but you can also get it under a Creative Commons license and remix it and let me, I mean, the only thing I want to know is what have you done with the remix? You know, I want to hear it. I want to play around with it myself, maybe in the open source ethos. And that's yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I have to I have to say there our our guest next week. Surprise! I have our guest down, <laughs> hoping he doesn't get sick and um, and we don't run into the same problems again. <laughs> so we don't have the Doc and Dan show, whatever can I call it for the third week in a row. Um, yes. Is is Evan Pedromo? Um, uh, he's the uh, uh, co-editor of Activity Pub, um, the W three standard. Um, Let's see if you're on Mastodon, you're using that. Um, he was big with Identity.ca uh, years ago, yeah. Identica and uh, StatusNet. Um, did work with fuzzy AI, artificial intelligence uh, stuff. Mm. Um, 
I think of him. I think of him as as a Canadian, even though he actually is from Cincinnati. Um, He's a he fascinating in- guy. I've interviewed him myself in the past, and he he will be really interesting. So people definitely come back and tune in for that next time. Yeah, he's great. He uh, he used to be, and probably will be again, uh, a fixture at uh, at the Internet Identity Workshop, which I you know help put on twice a year. Um, very involved in making things happen. He's always he's one of those people who's always pushing things forward. It'd be really great to have on the show. So, and on that one, I think uh, uh, Jonathan Bennett's going to co-host that one. At least he's lined up unless he gets sick or something happens in Oklahoma. But in the meantime, uh, it's been a great show. Thanks a lot, Dan. No problem. Thanks very much, Doc. Listeners of this program get an ad-free version if they're members of Club Twit. $7 a month gives you ad-free versions of all of our shows, plus... Membership in the Club Twit Discord, a great clubhouse for Twit listeners. And finally, the Twit Plus feed with shows like Stacy's Book Club, The Untitled Linux Show, and more. Go to twit.tv slash club twit. And thanks for your support. <laughs>